Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. If you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we are going to do a standalone message based upon something big that's happening this week. The video gave it away. Does anybody know what's happening this week? Somebody's doing a baptism, somebody's shopping, and somebody said election. So we have a presidential election happening this Tuesday. So I don't know if you're into politics or not, but that's a really big deal. And so what I thought we would do is do a message today based upon the election from a biblical perspective. And you know that they say when you're in social gatherings, you're around family, you're around friends, you should never bring up politics or religion. You know how they say that? We're going to bring up both today. So it's going to be super fun. Anybody excited? All right. You're with me. You're here. That's exciting. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with prayer. And if you're a praying person, I would encourage you to pray with me and for me. If you're not, I encourage you to start praying right now. It would be great. So let's pray. God, thanks for the opportunity that we have in our nation to engage the political process. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you are a God of truth and that you give us your truth. So Lord, I pray that we would seek your truth and that we would apply your truth in our lives, not just when it's important around political seasons, but Lord, we would apply that to our lives every day. So guide us through today's message, I pray. And Lord, we give you the microphone and we ask you to speak what you wanna say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we begin, let me ask this question. How many of you love politics? You, you love when the debates are on. No, don't worry, nobody's gonna throw anything at you. You, know, you, got, you can raise your hand. If you like politics, it's really okay. There's a number of folks that like politics. You like the debates. You love it when that's happening. You love to engage those conversations at work, maybe. And, you know, here, here's the reality. Like, we may not have all the facts, but we have all the answers, right? Like those of us who love politics. Now, how many of you don't like politics? There's more hands raised there. Um, so maybe you don't like when the political season comes. Maybe, you know, when that conversation comes up at work and, and your, um, your coworker who loves politics gets their soapbox out and starts standing up and telling their political opinions, maybe your eyes go down and you try to get out of the room as quick as possible. Maybe you would just rather not vote. Like, hey, can we just figure out another system for that to happen and we'll just kind of ignore that and just keep on going with our lives. So there's people who love politics. There's people who hate politics. And I find myself vacillating back and forth between those two opinions. There are moments that, that I'm engaged in the political process because I know, and I think most of us know, that politics is important. That when we elect politicians uh, who lean towards God and God's values, that helps us as a nation, that helps us as Christ followers to, to live the life that God wants us to live. So I think politics are important. And just think beyond that, politics, politicians who pass good laws that affect our nation and help our nation to, to lead the lives that God wants us to lead. That's a good thing. So I think politics is important. At the same time, there are moments that I watch the debates, I watch what's happening in the political season, and I don't know if it's this year or it probably feels a little bit more like this year than years past, but there are moments that I look at our two political candidates and I think, can we just write Jesus 
on the ballot. And if we all did, if we all agreed to write Jesus, might he go like, okay, God the Father, like, can I go now? It's time. Like, they've totally messed it up down there. Can I go down and save them from themselves? Um, I hope I didn't offend anybody with, with that comment. But hey, there's this political joke that comes around like every four years. So I'm telling you in advance, I'm about to tell a joke, okay? And usually my jokes are not funny, but if you laugh, it'll make me feel okay. So we've got Trump and Hillary in a boat lost at sea. Who gets saved? America. America. Somebody heard the joke. Yes. Yeah. So we are equal opportunity offenders here at Epic. Hopefully we offended you equally. And if you're a third party voter, um, we offended you because you weren't even in the joke. So I'm sorry (laughs) about that. But here's the reality. No candidate has all the answers that our world needs. No candidate. No candidate's got that figured out. Who does? Jesus. And right now, Jesus isn't here. Right now, Jesus is in heaven. And one day he's gonna come back, but until he comes back and rules and reigns, I think that we should vote. And I'm pretty passionate about that. If you listen to what the Bible says, I'm gonna read out of the King James Version. It says, thou shalt vote in the presidential election every four years, and if thou refuseth, don't complaineth. So that's found in the book of Hesitations. So the Bible does not say that we should vote, but it does say that we should pray for our political leaders. So listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So that's what we're going to do today. At the end of our service, we are going to pray for our next president and the incredibly difficult job they have of leading our nation. So the Bible doesn't say that we should vote, but it does say in several places where, where God comes along and tells the nation of Israel to select for themselves leaders to lead them. And God gives them uh, qualifications to choose those potential leaders from. And God says that we should be engaged in the world, that we should step towards the world, not away from the world. So I honestly believe that we can make a pretty strong biblical case that we should vote. And if you were not considering voting this year, I hope that by the end of this message, you will say, you know what? Like, I need to exercise my right to vote beyond your right, as we saw in that video, that you'll exercise a privilege if we understand that people have died so that we can vote, I think it's a pretty big privilege. And so my opinion is that we should vote, and I hope that you will. Now, today I want to take us back about 2,000 years, and I want to look at the political landscape in the nation of Israel around the time that Jesus stepped on the planet. And I think as we do that, we're going to see some very interesting similarities between the Israelites and 
us. So we're going to be in John chapter 6. So if you want to flip over to John chapter 6, you can be prepared for that. But before we get there, let me give you a little Jewish history. So this is going to be a crash course in the, the political landscape for the Jews. So around 1446 BC, God's rescued the nation of Israel from 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. So imagine 400 years of slavery, not just oppression, but slavery. God rescued them in a miraculous way. And then God led them to what is called the promised land. And they were led into the promised land about 1406 BC by a guy by the name of Joshua. And as they got into the promised land, they started to occupy that land. They started to push back other nations that were living in that land. And at some point they did a very interesting thing. And they said to God, God, we're tired of following you. We look around at at all the other countries around us, and all of those countries have a king to lead them. We want to be like them. We want a king to lead us. Thanks for all that you've done. Thanks for rescuing us from slavery. Thanks for leading us across the Red Sea. Thanks for the manna. 40 years of it was a little much, but thanks for the manna. Thanks for the quail that you gave us. Thanks for taking care of our clothes so they wouldn't wear out in the 40 years. That was all amazing but we're a little tired of taking orders from you. We want a human being to be our king, to lead us into battle. Now, sometimes the greatest thing that we think that we want is the last thing that we need. And that applied to the Israelites and that applies to us as well. Sometimes that thing that you want, that I want, we want it so bad. We're praying fervently, God, give us this thing. Give us this thing, give us this thing. Sometimes that's the very last thing that we need. But in the Israelite situation, God gave them what they were asking for. He gave them a king, gave them King Saul, was the first king. King Saul started off doing okay, then he got jealous. He actually did some things that he shouldn't have done and it turned away from God and God took the kingdom away from him. Gave it to a young guy by the name of David. David, if you know the story of David and Goliath, that's the the young man that God gave the kingdom to. And David was an amazing king. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. But even with that, David struggled with some moral failure. And that led to a fraction within his kingdom, within his own family. There was like a civil war that happened within his own family. It led to the third king, his son, Solomon, taking over the kingdom. And as Solomon took over, God decided to bless Solomon. And the nation of Israel flourished to be a world powerhouse at that time. The Bible says that Solomon made Gold and silver as common as gravel in his day. So can you imagine walking down the street, picking up like a gold nugget? What's that? Oh, that's just another one of those gold nuggets. Everybody has one of those. So he was a powerful leader that led the world's power, most powerful nation at that time. But Solomon did not obey God. Solomon in all of his wisdom turned away from God, and he led the nation of Israel to worship other gods. And so the people began to worship other gods and to reject the one true God. So what God said was, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to allow you to be defeated in battle. 
And so the kingdom was torn in two. There's northern kingdom, southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was defeated by the Assyrians. The, the southern kingdom was de- defeated by the Babylonians. They were eventually taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And then the Persians came and defeated the Babylonians. They lived under Persian rule. Then they lived under Greek rule. Then they lived under Roman rule. So for hundreds of years, they lived under rule of other governments. And by the time Jesus started walking the planet Earth, they were sick of it. They were sick of being led by other governments and having to listen to what those governments said that they had to do. So that's kind of the landscape of what it was like when Jesus walked planet Earth. So Jesus comes along and we see in John chapter 6, Um, This is what happens on that specific day. So John chapter six, Jesus is interacting with his disciples. He's interacting with lots of people who've come to follow him. And this is the story, the beginning of John chapter six is the story of the feeding of 5,000. So it's way more than 5,000. There were just 5,000 men there. They were the ones that were counted. Sorry, ladies, Uh, you were there. Uh, So they had 5,000 men. This could have been 10, 15, 20,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. So he was performing miracles that day. People were being healed. They were amazed. They were loving it. It became dinner time. They got hungry. And Jesus says, guess what? Fast food on me. And so he like makes it happen right there. They collect 12 baskets of leftovers. And everybody is in awe. So John chapter six, starting in verse 14, says this. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he stepped forward to accept their nomination as president of the United States of Israel. Now he didn't do that. What did he do? He slipped away. He slipped away into the hills by himself. Imagine if you were there. Imagine if you were a part of all that. You were watching this happen like you're amazed. I'm like, this is it. This is going to be the greatest political rally ever. And you're about to nominate Jesus. And he disappears. So they're confused. They're wondering, where'd he go? Why'd he leave? And then they find him the next day. And the next day, Jesus said the strangest thing he ever said. And we're talking Halloween, creepy, don't drink the Kool-Aid, kind of strange. All right, so that'll come in just a minute. But listen to what Jesus said when they found him the next day. Jesus said in verse 26, I tell you the truth that you want to be with me because I fed you not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. This is not the creepy thing that Jesus said. This is a very profound thing that Jesus said. This is the only work that God wants from you. And that is believe in the one he has sent. So my question for us today is, do you believe that? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he is the one that God the Father sent? Do you believe that he is the Messiah? Beyond the Messiah, do you believe he is your Messiah? Have you asked him to be your personal Lord and Savior? That's the greatest thing that we could ever do on planet Earth. The greatest work 
is based upon belief that Jesus died so you can live. So do you believe that? I hope so. The conversation continued. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Does that sound like vaguely familiar? Like, like maybe we've said something like that before? Like here they are the day before watching Jesus perform miracles. They're watching him feed 5,000 people, five loaves of bread and two fish. And today they're going, Jesus, what have you done for me lately? Like, where have you been? Like, you got to prove it to us. You got to do this miraculous thing. And sometimes I wonder, is that not us? Is that not me? To be honest with you, there are moments that God does something amazing in my life. And a day later, I go, but Jesus, that was yesterday. What about today? What are you going to do for me today? And I think sometimes it sounds like our political system. I'll vote for you, depending on what you can do for me. But if you can't do for me what I want, then I'll have to vote for somebody else. It just sounds like us, like Jesus, what can you do for us? They went on and said, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus continued to speak for a few more moments. And then verse 41, it says, the people began to murmur amongst themselves because he said he was the bread of life. So they were going, wow, that was amazing yesterday. But today, Jesus, like, you're kind of making it about you instead of about us and what we want and what we need. And so... They started to murmur. In verse 53, Jesus said the creepiest thing he ever said. Are you ready? He said this, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me, and in the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, imagine if you were there in that crowd and you were listening to Jesus. What would you think? And this is before vampire movies, you know, like when, uh, you know, girls fall in love with vampires and ask him to bite my neck so I can live like a dead person with you forever. So this is like way before that. So you hear Jesus say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. What are you thinking? I'm thinking, Jesus, you've just lost your mind. Like I was with you yesterday. That was great. It was exciting. We had this momentum. I was about to vote for you. And then you went crazy. Now I have to find somebody else to vote for. In verse uh, 66, it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And I go, do you think? I mean, like, really? Of course, we would walk away 
You know, would you keep wearing the vote for Jesus t-shirt? Would you keep your bumper sticker on your car asking people to vote for him? I wouldn't, that's creepy. That's strange what Jesus did. Now imagine if you were Jesus' disciples, his closest disciples, you know, the 12 that gave up everything to follow Jesus. I mean, I can just imagine what's going on in their mind. I mean, here they are super excited. I mean, they've never seen anything like this in their lifetime and they're watching Jesus in this momentum and they think like he is about to help us overthrow the Roman government. We are gonna have positions of power in that government. This is amazing. And then Jesus starts his vampire speech. And I can just see uh, Peter going like, like John, cut off his microphone. Like, like James, quick, turn to a commercial something. He's about to derail this whole thing. And I wonder if they wondered, Jesus, why? Like, why? Don't you understand what we gave up? Everything to follow you, everything. We were willing to give up everything so that you would be our king, and then you went crazy on us. What are you doing? I think Jesus did that for several reasons. Um, first, I think Jesus said the creepy, strange thing because he was pointing back to the Old Testament sacrificial system where people would sacrifice an animal to get temporary forgiveness of sin. And I think Jesus was pointing to what he was gonna do on the cross, saying, hey, that's gonna go away one day. And one day I'm gonna be the lamb, the lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world and my flesh and my blood will be poured out for you. I think Jesus was also pointing to communion, the sacrament of communion, saying, I'm gonna set up a, a meal that I ask you to have on a consistent basis until I come again and it announces my death, the reality of my death, and announces the reality of my resurrection and that one day I'm gonna come back for you. And in addition to that, I think Jesus said the creepy, strange thing because he did not come to be their earthly king. He came to be their eternal king. Jesus did not come to bring back the good old days of David and Solomon. Jesus came to bring a bright future that would last forever. And that wouldn't happen through him being elected as their earthly king. That would only happen through his death, burial, and then his resurrection. So here's some application for us today. Sometimes we get our hopes wrapped up in a political leader. And sometimes we think if, if the right person can get in office, everything will be okay. And there are moments that we put our association with a political leader above our association with the creator of the universe. And there are moments that we get so focused on our little time frame our little existence, and we forget that God has a bigger plan, that God has an eternal plan that he has been enacting for as long as we've been on planet Earth and beyond. Listen to what Daniel, this Old Testament prophet, Daniel, spoke to the king of Babylon, which was the greatest kingdom in that time frame, the kingdom that came along and defeated uh, Israel in battle, took them into captivity, the world power at that time. And Daniel, this, this prophet from this little uh, nation of Israel that has been defeated in battle, he, with his courage, he stands up and he tells King Nebuchadnezzar, he says this, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the most high, 
meaning God himself, rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone he chooses. So do you know what that means? That means that we go out and vote on Tuesday and Tuesday night, God appoints the president that he wants to lead our nation. That may be a president that leans towards him and his values. That may be a president that leans away from him and his values. But either way, that president will be selected and used by God in God's eternal plan. Now, here's what some of you think. Great, that means I don't have to vote. But I say, no, that's not what that means. Because that is like saying this. I don't have to share my faith with people because God knows who's gonna put their faith in Jesus Christ. Like, no, we have a responsibility to go and share our faith with everyone. Do we know who's gonna respond? No, we don't know that. But we have a responsibility to go out and share our faith with everyone that we possibly can. And yes, God knows who's gonna respond and who's gonna put their, their faith in Jesus Christ. But we have a responsibility. And I would say the same thing applies to us when it comes to elect, election. I think we have a responsibility to vote. I think we have a responsibility to vote our Christian conscience. And as we do that, we have a responsibility to remember that God rules the kingdoms of this world and he gives them to whomever he chooses. That may be the person that you vote for. It may not be the person that you vote for. But here's the challenge. Are you gonna put your hope and trust in a person? Or are you gonna put your hope and trust in the creator of the universe who has a plan, an eternal plan? You know, it's, it's funny during the political season to listen, people, listen to people talk about what they're gonna do um, with, if the other person gets elected. And I've heard this from both primary parties. I've heard people say, if that other person gets elected, I'm moving out of the country. Anybody else heard somebody say that? Okay, so it wasn't just me. So a lot of people have said that. And when I hear that, I think, oh, that's interesting. Can you imagine every four years, like about half of the country moving out and moving back in? Hmm, maybe that would help with immigration issues. I'm not sure. Um, so when I hear that, what I think is, so you're putting your hope in a person and not the creator of the universe. Like, oh, that's not good. That's not the thing that we should do. Our hope should always be in the creator. And I know this is gonna be super shocking, but God's eternal plan is not based upon the American government. Oh, I know, like, take a deep breath. It'll be okay. But God's eternal plan is based on something else. Listen to Ephesians 3.10. It says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan. You know what God's plan has always been? To use the church. It says he carried that out through Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's eternal plan is not waiting to figure out if they're gonna be elected on Tuesday. God's eternal plan is sitting in this room right here. It's us. It's us being the church. 
It's what we did two weeks ago when we went out into our community and we served on 3G Sunday, had 17 projects, had almost 300 people involved in that. That's part of God's eternal plan. It's Christ followers who are so fully devoted to Christ that we don't care who gets elected. It doesn't matter because we will live the life that we need to live. We will be a light in a dark world and we will point people to Jesus. What's the greatest thing, the greatest work anybody can do is put their faith in Jesus. And we understand that and we will live that. That's the greatest thing that we as Christ followers could do, and that is part of God's eternal plan, is to use the church. So if you're a Christ follower, guess what? You're on the election ballot this year. Who's voting for you? God is. He's saying, I'm asking you to go out and be the church. Live like Jesus at home, at work, at school. Live like Jesus. No matter what happens in the election, live like Jesus and do everything you can to point people to him. So this morning, where's your hope? Is in our, it in our next president and their plan? Or is it in our God and his plan? So here's how I'd like to end today. I'd like us to spend some time praying together. I'd like us to pray for two things. Number one, I would like us to pray for our next president and the incredibly difficult job they will have of leading our nation. And then I would like us to pray for us that we would be like Jesus, that we would live the life that God wants us to live at home, at work, at school. No matter what happens on, on Wednesday, you wake up and you find out that your president was elected or you find out you're, you're the president that you voted for wasn't elected. Doesn't matter because your hope is in our creator. And so I want us to pray for those two things as we get together. And here's how I'd like us to do this. We did this about a month ago. Um, we ended the service by getting in groups of two or three or four and we prayed together and this was an amazing part of our service when we did that. So I'm gonna ask us to do that again. And I gotta warn you, guess what? If you get in a group of people that you don't know, you might end up with someone from that other political party. Just saying. They might be in your group. But here's what I ask. This is not an opportunity to do any candidate praising or candidate bashing. Can we all agree on that? Okay, this is a chance for us to pray for God's candidate and not our candidate. It's a chance for us to pray with all humility that we would live the way that God wants us to live. Let me tell you what we're gonna do next week, and then we'll get into praying together. Next week, we're gonna start a series uh, that we have never done in the life of our church in the context that we're gonna do it. We've talked about this subject in a number of occasions, um, but we've never done an entire series. And I gotta tell you, if you've ever wanted to invite someone to church, then I encourage you to invite them next week. Next week will be one of the best weeks that anybody who's new, anybody who's exploring Christianity, just thinking about it, wanting to check it out, wanting to understand what Christianity is all about, next week will be one of the best weeks they could ever come. And so I strongly encourage you to invite them to that. Now, I'm not telling you what we're gonna talk about um, until next week. So I hope that you'll come next week and I hope you'll bring as many people as you can get to come with you as we start uh, what I think is probably one of the most amazing series that we've probably ever done. Okay, now I'm gonna pray 
And then after I pray, you're going to have a moment to get in a group with other people and start praying. Pray for our next president. Pray for us that we will be the church. And then our worship team will come up. They'll play some music. And then when they sense that time is right, they'll invite you to sing with them. And then we'll wrap up the service. So let's pray together. God, what an incredible opportunity that we have to be involved in what happens in the politics in our nation and ultimately that affects our world. And so, Lord, on Tuesday, we'll go out and vote. You will select a president. And that president may be somebody we voted for, maybe somebody we didn't vote for, and yet, God, you will select that person because you want that person to help fulfill your purposes in the world, whether they acknowledge you or not. And so, Lord, we pray for them. You tell us in Scripture to pray for all of our leaders. And so, Lord, we want to humble ourselves and pray for them in this amazing job that they have of leading our nation. God, I pray that if they don't know you, they'll come to know you. I pray that you will surround them with wise counsel, people that will point them towards you every day of their administration. And, Lord, beyond that, I pray for us. I pray that our hopes and dreams wouldn't be tied to the, emo- the uh, emotional roller coaster ride that the election can provide us. I pray that our hope would remain steadfast in you and we would understand that you have a plan and that plan involves us. It involves us being the church. It involves us living more like Jesus every day. So Lord, we need help and how to do that. So teach us how to do that, I pray. We give you our nation. We give you our world. And we know that you rule the kingdoms of this world. And you give them to whomever you choose. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. So I encourage you to get in small groups, two to four people or so, and just begin praying for our president and for us.